Do you remember your first boss that you ever had? I remember mine, and his name was Mr. White, and he was the manager at the grocery store that I worked at when I was 15 years old. He was not a very nice person, just to say the least. He wasn't very popular. There may have been some printings of his head that were hung around various places with things either written on them or stuck in them, uh, you know, in the shape of a dart or two, maybe. Uh, He was the type of guy that nothing was ever good enough. And as a matter of fact, I remember he would always ask you to work beyond what you were scheduled. It was almost like a guarantee. And the more you told him no, the angrier he got. So it was like on this scale of if you couldn't stay later than you were scheduled to work and you kept telling him no, he treated you worse and he became angrier. I'll never forget one day when I just had to come into the grocery store. I wasn't even scheduled to work that day, I needed to go to the bank that was located inside of the grocery store to just cash a check. I was actually on the way to a friend's graduation and I needed some cash. So I went into the grocery store real quick, tried to be as quick as possible because he had like, you know, like, like, like the, like, like the, tower, you know, from Lord of the Rings of the watching eye. He had this like, you know, uh, office with the two-way glass all around it, and he could see everything in the grocery store from his office. And I just came in real quick to cash my check. And uh, when I went in there uh, over the loudspeaker, like they would, you know, try to connect a a child to the parent, you know, (laughs) your mom's up at the front of the store, you know, that thing. He called over the loudspeaker, uh, and he talked like this because we lived in Arkansas. And this is actually a pretty good impression, by the way, of Mr. White, because I was pretty good at it. But anyways, that's another story. He said, Derek, will you please come upstairs? And I was like, oh. And I pretended like I didn't hear him. I was just at the bank, and I was like, okay, let me just get out here real quick. And the lady at the bank was like, he's talking to you. I'm like, I know. Just give me the money. Let's go. Let's make this happen. And then he goes, Derek Armstrong, will you come upstairs? And I'm like going, oh, great. Like now what do you do? And his office is like right there. The stairs to his office were right there to the exit of the grocery store. So up the stairs I go. And of course, I knew what he was going to ask. He says, can you stay and work today? I need you to really come in because blah, blah, blah. It gives me all these reasons. And you were scared to tell him no. I had to because I was going to my friend's graduation. I told him no, and then I got a five-minute tongue lashing. I mean, I'll never forget that. I was 15 years old. I was scared to death, man. I'm just trying to go to my friend's graduation. I'm just there to get some cash from the bank, and I'm scared to even go in the store. And then I thought, I I could have gone to any bank. You know, I would have paid the convenience fee if it wasn't even my bank. It would have been worth it. But, you know, anyways, I just remember the challenges of working there and working for him. And we all have stories perhaps like that where we've had to deal with an authority figure that we didn't like, whether that be a teacher, whether it's a boss, whether it's maybe someone in government, whatever the case may be, where we didn't like that authority figure. We didn't like what they did. We didn't like who they were. We didn't like the way that they operated and the way that they led or the way that they used their authority. And it affected us personally. All of us have those stories where we've been in those situations and we don't like those situations. But how are we as Christians supposed to respond to authority we don't like? How are we to respond when we're in a situation that is not fair to us, where it may be that actually things are actually seem to be stacked against us? Is it okay to rebel, or is there a time where it's appropriate for us to be rebels? 
Is that how Christians are supposed to act? Or are we supposed to just always just do whatever and let whatever happen and just kind of always do it with a smile on our face? What are we supposed to do when we're just kind of complying with authority and we feel like we're doing something wrong, like I'm compromising or I'm accepting defeat to what I know is the right thing to do. What's the Christian's role in those instances? I think all of us have been faced with challenges like this, and if we haven't been, we're going to be at some point. And here's the thing, Peter's uh, people that he was writing to, those churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, he was writing to them, and they were dealing with some of the same challenges, because here there are Christians in an atmosphere and in a culture and an environment that's very unchristian. It's very anti-Christian, and they're trying to figure out, well, I'm Christian, so does that give me certain freedoms and liberties and exemptions from the different authorities that are in my life because I don't like what they're asking me to do because they're not serving Christ and I'm serving Christ. So how do I live a life to where I'm actually serving Christ in the middle of having to deal with and submit to ungodly leadership and ungodly authority? We don't like that word, do we? Submit. Uh, for some reason, that's become like a dirty word to people where they just don't like hearing it. They don't like saying it. It's always associated with negativity. But yet we see in the life of Christ true submission. We see in the life of Christ true, true servanthood. And submission is not meant to be a bad word, especially to those of us who are Christians. But how do we live our lives as Christians in a non-Christian culture. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been going verse by verse through 1 Peter. So we're going to talk about this today because Peter actually writes a portion of his letter to tell those Christians in Asia Minor how they are to live in an ungodly culture. And here's the fun part for you as someone who gets to hear the message. And the part that's not as fun for me as the person who gets to deliver the message is that when you teach the Bible verse by verse in what's called expository teaching, when you teach the Bible that way, you don't get to skip over verses because you are teaching the Bible verse by verse. So those verses you've always had questions about that maybe preachers have conveniently skipped over or not addressed, when you teach in an expository manner, you got to deal with it. So it's great for you. It's a little bit challenging for me, all right? So this is going to be one of those messages where we're going to hear things that will be challenging. And believe me, I am just as challenged as you in some of those areas. So this isn't a Pastor Derek wagging his finger type message. This is a, oh boy, Derek, you need to get your stuff together too. So let's read what Peter has to say to the church and what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today from the Word of God. First Peter chapter 2, we left off last week in verse 12, so let's pick it up in verse 13. Here's what Peter says about authority. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, let's really look at what Peter is saying, because he was writing to a people who were under the leadership of the emperor Nero. You guys remember Nero from history class, perhaps, if you can dial back and remember that? 
Nero was an evil, evil emperor in the Roman Empire. He was charged or accused or believed to be the one who actually burned Rome to the ground. And he, he, he had people set fire to different areas in Rome. The buildings in Rome were very close together, and a lot of them made out of wood, and it was really dry, and it was during the summer, it was in July, and the city just burned to the ground. It burned for six days. And Nero was believed to have set fire to Rome because this guy was just possessed. He was crazy. He was evil. But he didn't take responsibility for burning down Rome. Guess who he blamed? The Christians. He blamed the Christians for setting fire to Rome. Well, it's all those Jesus people. It's all those Christians. Well, that doesn't seem very fair, right? So then what happened? Everybody started hating the Christians even more than they already did. And that really was the thing that sparked the great persecution of Christians, where you hear all of these stories of martyrs who died for the cause of Christ they themselves being burned at the stake or being boiled alive or people being tortured in gross ways, all for their faith in Jesus Christ. A lot of that started from this event where Nero uh, blamed this burning of Rome on the Christians. And under the, the emperor, the leadership of Nero, this evil, wicked guy, Peter writes these words, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's the emperor or whether it's the governor. What? Now, think about this for a minute. It would be hard enough for us as Americans to receive that word, thinking about perhaps if there's someone in office we just don't like. We have the opportunity to maybe vote someone in or out that we don't care for the way that they govern or rule or lead. They didn't have that opportunity, and yet this is the word of the Lord to those people, and it's the word of the Lord to us today. Remember, even our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living under the dictatorship of North Korea, this still applies to them as well. still applies to those living in Muslim-controlled nations where you can be beheaded or killed or lose everything for being a Christian. This applies to communist China where it is illegal to be a Christian. This applies to America as well. But sometimes it's harder for us to swallow this type of message because we live in a culture and a society where if we don't like something, we can try to change it. This was written to a people that they had no power to change it. They just had to learn how to deal with it and live in a way that was still going to honor God in the middle of it. And because we live in a culture, and because we live in a society where we can change stuff, sometimes we have this mindset that if I don't like something, then I just don't have to play because I can change it. If I don't like the government, I change the government. If I don't like my job, I'll just change my job. If I don't like my spouse, well, I don't know. <laughs> just saying, that's how culture begins to think. If I don't like something, I'll just change it. If it's not going the way I want it to go, I'll just change it. They didn't have that option. That wasn't something on the table. And so because we sometimes have this option living in a democracy, we don't understand true submission. We just go, well, I don't like it. I'll change it. But yet that doesn't mean we're exempt. It is still true what Peter said to those of his day, and it's still true for us in our day, whether we live under the type of leadership that we agree with or the leadership that we do not agree with. Because Peter said it this way, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. 
He's not wanting you to just submit and be subject to just because. No, it's actually for the Lord's sake. It says, unto the Lord. Paul the Apostle said it like this in Colossians 3 and verse 23. He said, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And in the greater context of this passage in Colossians 3, he's actually talking about slaves and he's talking about husbands and wives and he's talking about human government and human institution. He's reiterating the same type of idea that Peter is writing. So Paul's saying the same thing Peter's saying and guess who else said it? Jesus Christ himself. When the disciples were wondering who should we pay our taxes to because they thought, well, we're living under this evil regime of the Romans. We don't want to pay them taxes. Why should we give anything to them? And Jesus said, whose head is on this coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. He said, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give God what is God's. So he said, listen, you're still operating in the culture. You're still operating in society. You're a citizen of heaven. Yes, you're free from all of the, 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 the things that, that will try to trip you up in this world. You're free as a new creation in Christ, but yet you're still living in this world. And you need to navigate the way you live in a way that's going to honor God. Because all of these Christians in the early church and all of these early church fathers and writers and apostles, they all had a very deep concern about the gospel that I think has been diluted and been distanced from us a little bit in our day and age. They cared so much for the integrity of the message of the gospel that they didn't want the behavior of those who called themselves Christians to somehow distort what Christ's message truly was. And so they cared very much for not just protecting themselves, but they cared more for protecting the gospel. They were so adamant about protecting the integrity of this message of what Jesus Christ had done. They cared very much for it. It was more important to them that they would be willing to inconvenience themselves so that people wouldn't think poorly of the gospel or they wouldn't think these people have wrong intentions. They wanted to protect the message of the gospel because it was more important to them for people to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what drove the Apostle Paul to do things like not even take an offering from one of the churches that he was serving. He actually lived among them. It was in Thessalonica. You can read this in 2 Thessalonians where he talked about sharing his very life with them. He said, we didn't ask anything from you. We didn't want to be a burden to you. So actually, Paul worked with his hands. He made tents so he wouldn't even take an offering from the people in Thessalonica because he didn't want them to think he was in it for the money. That's how much he cared about the gospel. He said, I could have asked you to take care of me. I could have actually, as an apostle, demanded that you do because that's what you're supposed to do to show honor to the apostle. But I chose not to, even though it was my right, even though I was free to do so, I didn't do so. Why? He said, because I care more about the gospel. The same thing that Peter's trying to say here. We care more about the gospel. And folks, we must care for the message that we carry. We have to care for the message that we carry. You are free in Christ. Amen? Woohoo! Hallelujah! Praise God. But it is in my freedom that I choose to limit my freedom based on the culture in which I live so that I may honor God best with my life because I'm loving Him first and I'm loving other people more than I'm loving just enjoying my own freedoms. So that means, guess what? I am free to speak in Christ. I'm free to say things in Christ, but because I love other people, I'm not going to share with you every one of my opinions. I'm free 
I'm free. Hallelujah. Amen. But because I love you, I'm not going to share with you all of my opinions because I may not be helping you. I may actually be causing you to stumble. And I don't want to do that. Even though I, 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 I'm free to do so, I'm choosing to limit my freedom because I care more about you. And remember, Peter's talking about how Christians are to interact with those who don't know Jesus. He's not talking about the way the church and Christians interact with one another. That's another sermon for another day. This is primarily speaking to Christian. This is how you live in a world that is very much against you. And he's saying, listen, you, you, you need to give honor to those people. You need to do it as unto the Lord. You need to actually uh, be subject to them for Christ's sake. He said here in verse 15, this is the will of God that you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what is he saying here? There are people who are going to accuse you. There are people who are going to point their fingers at you. There are people who are going to go, oh, those Christians are just this or that. He said, you're actually going to silence them because of the way that you act and live in the society that you do. You're going to live as a people who are free, but you're not going to abuse your freedom to cover up evil. You're not going to use your freedom as an excuse and say, well, I'm free to do this in Christ. It's not my fault if they can't handle the truth. But Jesus said we're supposed to speak that truth in love, and we're to live as a people who are free, yes, but I'm not going to use my freedom as a way to hurt the message of the gospel. I'm going to be sensitive to the culture that I'm in. I've been on a lot of mission trips to different countries, and they always do this thing to prep you when you go to a different country. They let you know some of the cultural customs and some of the things they do and some of the things you should do and some of the things you shouldn't do. And let me just tell you, I think a lot of the things that I should do and shouldn't do in those other countries are really silly, really silly. But if I were to do those things or not do those things that I was instructed to do or not do, I could be a stumbling block for someone hearing the gospel. And it could be things that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm an American. Yes, but I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first, American second. Amen, church? And because I'm a Christian, because I'm following Christ, I will limit my freedom, and I will not say those things, or I won't do those things, or I will do those things, and go that little extra mile to make sure that the gospel is preserved and that I'm not getting in the way of the gospel because I want to just show you how free I am. You see, in my own arrogance, in my own desire to show and display my freedom, I could actually be hurting somebody because I'm not being very loving. The Apostle Paul actually gives a great example of this in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's around chapter 6, uh, 1 Corinthians, he starts telling them about these different issues that they're dealing with, that they're looking at how do we handle this, because they're kind of living in the same situation as Peter's audience are. And there in Corinth, the problem was this idea of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So there would be some sort of sacrifice made to some false god, and then afterwards there's, you know, a good barbecue left over, and they would sell this meat in the marketplace, and people would buy it. And if someone invited you over to their house, and this is what Paul said to the church in Corinth, if someone invites you over to their house for supper, and they serve you meat that has been sacrificed to idols, don't ask them where they got the meat. Don't start off the conversation, hey, good to see you. Hey, that uh, steak over there, did you get that from uh, the market where they sell that meat, sacrifice to idols? He said, don't do that <laughs> because you're a carrier of the gospel. So don't ask the question, just shut up and eat the meat because the idol's false, it's just meat, it doesn't matter. That's what Paul said. But he said, if 
in the conversation, when they have you over, they let you know, hey, by the way, you're eating meat that was sacrificed to the idols. Then you have to say something and you have to go, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm a Christ follower and, and, and I can't eat that meat. He said, so in that instance, you do need to speak up. But if they don't bring it up, you don't bring it up. Don't ask. They may have just bought it from a regular store, not the idol barbecue store. He said, don't bring it up. He said, because you're preferring your brother instead of you going, oh, well, I don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And if this was sacrificed to idols, good day, sir. He said, don't be that way. What's going to happen? You're going to get in the way of sharing the gospel. But if you eat the meat after they've told you it was sacrificed to an idol and you don't say anything, then you're getting in the way of the gospel too because you're not sharing with them, hey, I'm not going to eat this as worship. I'm, I'm, I don't worship those gods. And you have to speak up and, and, and say, thank you for having me over, but I'm, I can't have that. I'm sorry. That's how Christians are to live in a culture that's very much anti-Christ, where we are limiting in our love for other people the freedoms that we have because we are caring for the message that we carry. We honor God best by loving others well. That was our bottom line last week. We love we honor God best by loving others well. And part of loving others well is limiting the freedoms that I may enjoy. Because the things that I enjoy, I, I, I don't need to go around and try to change everyone and everything in the culture around me because that's not my job. My job is to share the gospel, to be salt and light, and change will happen as people come to Christ. Amen? You see, that we got to stop trying to change the world from the outside in. That's the world strategy, and the church has got to get away from just trying that same old tired strategy. We try to fix all, of the, all, the, all the squeaky wheels. We try to fix all the things on the outside, but we're not dealing with the thing that really matters, and that's the heart. How do we best get to the heart? How do we best reach the heart? Well, it starts with the church caring for other people more than they care about their own agendas and their own preferences. It starts with the church caring more about others and loving others well right where they're at instead of just trying to immediately get them to change and conform and be like us. No, they need to see their need for Jesus and so they can love Jesus and receive Christ and their eternity be changed. That, folks, is a change from the outside, from the inside out, not from the outside in. But it starts with us caring for this message that we carry and protecting the integrity of the gospel. So here is the qualifier concerning government. I want you to remember this. You can write this down. I want you to think about it. I want you to really let this marinate, all right? Here's the qualifier concerning government. Is what the government is asking you to do causing you to dishonor God or to sin? If the answer is no, then do it as unto the Lord for the Lord's sake. It really is that simple. Is what the government is asking you to do, is what the culture is asking you to do, is it causing you to dishonor God? Is it causing you to sin? Because I'm not going to sin because guess what? If, if, if the government is demanding I do something that's sinful or dishonoring God, the government is operating outside of the authority that God has given them and thus they themselves are operating in sin and I'm not going to participate in sin. I can't do that. That would be dishonoring to God. So I'm not going to sin and I'm not going to dishonor God. But is the government asking me to do things I don't like? Is the government asking me to do things that I'd rather not do, but it's not sinful? Then it still falls under the umbrella of the authority of God. And I have to do it not because 
I voted for the guy or not because I like what they want me to do or not because I think it's a great idea. I do it as unto the Lord for the Lord's sake. I don't like it. It's not my preference. Believe you me. But at the same time, according to Scripture, he says, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Could you imagine hearing honor the emperor when you're a Christian living under Nero's reign? Could you imagine here? Let me tell you how wicked this dude was, all right? Not only did he blame the Christians for burning Rome, but have you ever set off fireworks called Roman candles? Anyone ever set off a firework called a Roman candle? You know, it shoots the little things out. Hopefully you haven't shot them at one another like we used to as kids. But because you'll put your eye out. But, you know, it's the different colors, boom, boom, boom. Those things, we call them Roman candles. You know why um, they're called Roman candles? You know what an actual Roman candle is? During the Renaissance period, there was a famous artist. I don't remember which one, one of the Ninja Turtles. He painted this picture of this uh, scene in Nero's day, and Nero had this huge garden, and it was beautiful, and he would invite all of his friends to have like these really nasty, sexually charged parties over at his house in this garden, and he would have a lot of these parties at night, and to light the gardens, he would actually have, and this painting depicts this, you can see this painting, Christians who were dipped in wax who were tied to poles, and he would light them on fire, and those would burn through the night, and they were called Roman candles. And they would light the garden parties of Nero. He would light his sex parties and his uh, awful, you know, just diabolical parties that he was having with the actual flesh of Christians while they would burn alive as they were doing all of their uh, wickedness. That's where the, that comes from. Thanks for that, Pastor Derek. You just ruined fireworks for me. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> this is how wicked this dude was. And then Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Wow. Um, that's pretty intense, isn't it? It's not serving necessarily the emperor and doing everything that the emperor says because if the emperor is asking me to do something that's sinful, even though the emperor himself is not a Christ follower, I'm still going to honor God and for the Lord's sake, I'm going to still operate in a way that's going to honor God and not hurt the message of the gospel. I'm not going to sin. I'm not, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand for the truth. But at the same time, if I just don't like it, if I dislike it, it is my obligation as a Christ follower to honor God and for the Lord's sake, do it, as Paul said, as unto the Lord, even the things that I don't like. Let's keep on reading. It's going to get more fun, trust me. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Oh, wow, fun. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep. 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here Peter is telling them to endure suffering well as unto Christ, and he's talking to them in the terms of a slave and a slave owner. He's saying, listen, if you do wrong and you're a slave and you get beaten for it, then you got punishment because you did something that was wrong. So there's no credit for that. You got what you should have gotten. He said, but if you are doing what's right and you still suffer the consequences of having done something wrong, even though you were still doing right, if you're suffering in that way, if you're suffering where someone is doing something that you have no control over and you're just enduring that suffering, he says, endure suffering well as unto Christ. Do it for the Lord's sake. Do it as unto Christ. I don't like that scripture. I don't. Because when someone does me wrong, I want to be justified, don't you? I want someone to see, I didn't do anything wrong. I want people to know, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. It's kind of like those situations where you've been working somewhere for years, and all of a sudden the guy that's only been there six months gets the promotion that you put in for. And you go, that's not fair. I want to be justified. This isn't right. And that's why in our culture, we're like, well, that's not fair. I'm done. (laughs) Well, guess what? In a slave-slave owner situation, the slave can't go, I'm finding a new slave owner. I'm out of here. It's not how it works. They were stuck. So when you find yourself in a situation where you can't really do anything about what may be happening to you and how situations and things may be happening that may be unjust, whatever suffering, he's telling you, he's saying, listen, suffer well. We can, we can try to vote. We can try to bring changes. We can try to elect good people and, and, and hope that they turn the country in a healthy direction. But guess what? At the end of the day, I can't make those decisions because God didn't see fit. I sat in that seat. That's not my role. That's not where God placed me. Someone else is sitting that, in that seat. I don't always agree with everyone who's sitting in that seat. Amen, somebody whether it be the mayor, whether it be the governor, whether it be the president, doesn't matter. Whatever level of authority, we see that there is a way to respond to things that are happening that are beyond my control. Now, obviously, as far as I know, no one in this room is a slave owner or a slave. If That's a whole different conversation we probably need to have if you are. But at the same time, we can look at servants and slave owners and things like that in our context and maybe find more application in understanding it as being employed and having an employer uh, to where we're working for someone. Have you ever worked for someone that didn't treat you right, that was really unjust in their treatment of you? And we always just want to ditch the job and go find another one and hoping that it's going to be a better situation the next time. But that's not always the answer. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. But that's not always the answer. Sometimes God has placed you in a place where maybe you are the only Christian there because God wants you to impact eternity by planting seeds and watering seeds of the gospel in people's lives. Perhaps God has strategically placed you in an environment because he's equipped you for that environment to be able to show the love and truth of Jesus Christ. It's awesome when you get to have a job where you work for an awesome, loving God-fearing person, and you get to be in that type of environment, that's awesome. That's great. But I don't think every Christian should go out and work for other Christians and just all have a bunch of Christian companies. Then how are we shedding our light? How are we showing the love and truth of Jesus? I believe that 
He puts us in places that sometimes make us really uncomfortable. And sometimes the boss makes a new policy, and we don't like that new policy. How do we respond? Sometimes we get in trouble for things at work that we didn't do. How do we respond? Sometimes we work really, really hard, and it goes unnoticed. How do we respond? This is where we can look to Scripture, and we can see how Peter wants us to respond as he's led and directed by the Holy Spirit to write these words, to suffer well as unto Christ. Because remember, whatever suffering you're enduring, whatever suffering, however hard it is at work, however difficult it may be, however challenging the environment may be, it's not as bad as what Christ suffered. I'm just going to take a, take a gamble there and guess it's not as bad as what Christ suffered. I, I don't think anyone's coming home after being publicly mocked, humiliated, and beaten with a cat of nine tails and nailed to a cross. I don't think that's happening to anyone in this room. So Christ who suffered for our sake, and he didn't do anything wrong, showed us in an example of how we are to share in his suffering. So even in those situations, he said, we need to suffer well as unto Christ. That is a hard word to hear, man, but enduring suffering well as unto Christ. Because remember, you are sharing the gospel. You have the hope of Christ in you. And guess what? It gets more and more fun. Let's read chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, yay, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on a gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your own wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. All right, no, I'm kidding. Well, it just keeps getting more and more fun with Peter. Like, thanks, Holy Spirit. So here's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, listen, wives, win your husbands to Christ by the way you honor him through your treatment of him, not through the way you dress up. All of these three examples that he gives and three instructions that Peter gives are all connected. And I want to help you see this. And then we'll talk a little bit more about this. He talked about government. He talked about the emperor, right? So he's talking about this thing that affects the culture, that affects a, a huge part of your life, and it's just part of the, the culture that you live in. So this kind of 30,000-foot view. He talks about how the Christian is supposed to respond to the culture, to the emperor, to the leadership, to the authority. And then he takes authority just a little bit closer to home, and he starts talking about slaves and slave owners, and you and I can interpret that and it would be safe to interpret it as talking about maybe at our job, something a little closer to where we're talking about unjust treatment and just treatment, how I'm supposed to respond to that when I'm around other people. So it's a little closer, but then he gets really, really close, and he starts talking about marriage. And he's still talking about the same thing. In context, Peter has not changed the purpose or the intent of what he's writing about. He's not just all of a sudden uh, deciding to write about marriage all of a sudden. It's all connected. It's all tied together. He's talking about submission to authority once again. And how is he talking about submission to authority? He's talking about in the context 
of working with, living with, living in a culture that is very unchristian. Because he's talking about wives in context of being submitted to a husband that does not believe in Jesus. And we can see that here clearly in Scripture because he says here um, in the very first verse of chapter 3 that they should be subject to their own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so he's talking in this context about winning them to Christ. So he's talking about living with an unbelieving husband. He's talking about authority in this instance. And he's saying, listen, don't be rebellious towards your husband just because your husband's not a Christian. That's what he's saying. Don't go out and speak ill of him. Don't go out and dishonor him. Don't create problems in the home just because your husband is a Christian and always hold that over his head and be disrespectful and be dishonoring to him. No, you still honor him. You still respect him even if he's not a Christ follower. And don't just go out and dress up and try to look nice in order to try to somehow woo him or win him or manipulate him into becoming a Christian. No, don't let it be by the way that you dress the outward person, but instead let it be, verse 4, the adorning should be in the hidden person of the heart. That's what's going to be really attractive to him. That's what's going to help point him to Jesus, which matters more than him just liking you because you look pretty. He's, Peter's trying to get really, really close, and then he doesn't let the guys off the hook either because he tells them, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, this is a weighty statement. He's basically saying, husbands, you can't treat your wife bad if she's not a believer either. You shouldn't be the type of husband that goes, well, you're just not a believer in Christ, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you as a second-class citizen or poor, uh, poorly because you're, uh, you're not like me. I'm better than you. No, likewise. He's saying the same thing. Honor them. Love them. Live with them in an understanding way. He says to show honor to them as the weaker vessel. A lot of translations and a lot of commentary believes that's talking about possibly physically. There could be other interpretations of that, but the heart of that text is he is saying, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered, listen, you need to make sure that you are living in an understanding way because if you don't, here's what you run the risk of. The things you pray for, God's not listening if you're dishonoring your wife. If you're treating her poorly just because you're, 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 you're living in such a way that's being dishonorable towards her. So he's, he, he takes it from government, and then he talks about slaves, and then he talks about husbands and wives. He gets closer and closer, all up in our lives to help us to see how authority affects every level of our lives and how the Christian is supposed to interact with non-Christians. This is what Peter wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to help us to see. You win your husband to Christ by the way you honor him, by the way you treat him. You're going to share the gospel with your wife by living it in front of her much louder than trying to demand it out of her. All three of these sections are dealing with leadership and authority. And here's the bottom line today, and this is really the heart of I believe, of Peter's message, and I want you to help me preach this. Hashtag, walk bottom line, share it on social media, help us preach. The gospel matters more than me getting my way. That's the heart of what Peter's trying to say. 
I want my way because I like my way, <laughs> you know, right? And, and, and isn't it frustrating when your way, you can have a lot of people actually agree with you. Like a lot of people go, yeah, that's not right. Yeah, that's not fair. Doesn't it make you feel good when you like go on this like rant about how something isn't right and like a lot of people go, yeah, that's not right. Doesn't that make you feel good? Almost like you started it, right? You're like, yeah, I got all these people to agree with me. This is awesome. Just because you get a lot of people to agree with you, just because you get a large crowd to say you're right and you can surround yourself with people who think you're right and agree with you, doesn't make it right. Does it honor God? Even if it may be something that you don't like, because the gospel matters more than you getting your way. The gospel matters more. So yeah, when I'm living in a culture, when I'm living in, a, in an area that, man, they, there's just not a lot of godly influence, this is how I am to live in a way that I remember the gospel matters more than me getting my way. When I get to enjoy being in an environment where people are following the Lord and things are going a lot better for the Christian, I can rejoice. That's why when the righteous rule, uh, the people rejoice, right? But then at the same time, when things don't go my way at work, when things aren't going my way at home, when things aren't going my way in the government, I got to remember the gospel matters more. I am a representative of the gospel and the gospel matters more. I am a representative of Christ. I'm a part of his church. The gospel matters more than me sharing my opinion. The gospel matters more than me being rebellious. Because when I'm being rebellious towards that authority, it's not just being, being rebellious towards that person, it's actually me being rebellious towards God. I need to remember I'm doing this for Christ's sake. And I don't want to be a stumbling block for people who don't know Jesus. I'm free, yes, I'm free, but I'm going to, out of my love for God and out of my love for other people, prefer my brother and I'm going to do what is right in the eyes of God and what honors God. And Peter helps us to see what that is. I don't like it any more than you do because I, 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 I want to be justified. I want to be around people who think I'm right too. People who all share the same opinions and we can all have our own little group think together. <laughs> I, I want to join those groups on Facebook and us just go on a, on a, on a rant, you know. But what does it do to the gospel at the end of the day? Does it promote the gospel? Does it share Jesus with those who don't know him? Is what I'm being asked to do, is it sinful? Is it dishonoring to God? If it's not, if it's not sinful, if it's not dishonoring to God, I've, I've got to submit. If it's not something that's causing me to stumble in sin and, and be entrapped in sin, if it's something that I just don't like, I'm just going to have to suck it up, buttercup, and not like it. I don't like that. This is a tough section of Scripture. And I gave Pastor Pete a softball text a few weeks ago. I should have waited and given him this one. <laughs> And I could have been like on a beach somewhere while he's having to deal with this because it's hard and I don't like it. I, it is difficult, but I have to trust the word of God in the things I don't like just as much as I trust it in the things that I do because all the things that make me feel warm and fuzzy in the Psalms, all the things that I hear in the, the, the Beatitudes and all the things that I hear about 
God so loved the world. Oh, I love those things. And his mercies are new every morning. And then he says these things. And I go, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't get to decide. I got to take the tough stuff with the stuff that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Amen? That's the benefit of expository teaching. We can't skip over that. We got we to deal with it head on, which means every one of us who have heard this message today, whether here in the room, out in the commons, or whether online, every one of us are faced with this. We're all faced with this text today because this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe this is the Word of God to them and to us. And it can't mean what it never meant. So as we look at what it meant to the original hearers and we're looking at that, it, it meant something pretty intense because they were living under Nero. So what does that mean for you and me? I think it means we need to submit for Christ's sake. So no matter how this election goes, whether it goes your way or not, how we respond as Christians is going to be key. You know this? I'm serious. How we respond as Christians is going to be key. How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond like Peter instructed us to as led by the Holy Spirit, or are we just going to become rebellious either way? Are we just going to be pointing fingers? Are we going to further divide the body and sully the message of the gospel to where the world doesn't want anything to do with Christ because of the way Christians represent Christ? Or are people going to see something different? Are people going to see someone who is loving, who is serving, who is caring for them and prioritizing their eternity over what happens here in this temporary life that we may be living in? Do everything as unto the Lord. So we shouldn't be rebels just because we don't like the governor, just because we don't like the president or the mayor or your boss or your spouse. As long as they're not asking me to dishonor God, or to be sinful. I should honor God best in the culture I live in by limiting my freedom, by loving other people, by doing everything for the Lord's sake because the gospel matters more than me getting my way. Gospel matters more than me getting my way. I want to close with this scripture. Colossians 3, 23 and verse 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Listen to verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And here's why. Here's the why statement. You are serving the Lord Christ. I'm Christian first, American second. Amen? You are serving the Lord Christ. I'm Christian first. Never forget that. Don't forget that on November 3rd. You are Christian first. Don't forget that on November 4th. <laughs> or whenever they get the results. Who knows? <laughs> Don't forget that in the middle of the political discussion around the water cooler tomorrow at work. Don't forget that when you jump on Facebook later on today. You are serving the Lord Christ. Don't forget that when the memo is posted in the break room making some new policy that doesn't make sense to you, that you don't like. Don't forget that at the end of the month, whenever perhaps... We may have a, a, another mandate or something of that nature. Don't forget that in the way you react, in the way you respond, in the way you love, amen? In the way you treat other people, in the way you represent Christ to those who don't know Jesus. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to do this. We really stink at this on our own. We're just not very good at it. 
because we, we want to rebel. But I don't want to rebel against you, Jesus. And if you're asking me to do these things and asking us and commanding us through your word to think this way, help us to reframe our thoughts and our values to best honor you and to best serve you because we want to serve you well, Lord, and we don't want to sully the gospel. We don't want to somehow dilute the potency of the gospel because we've become poor representatives of it by the way that we act in the culture, if we act better than other people, or we become prideful in our hearts or arrogant or rebellious. Lord, help us to be wise. This is a tough, sticky time to live in, and Lord, we need your help. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, work in us, work through us, all for the glory of God. And if there are people here that don't know you, Jesus, if there are people watching online that don't know you, Jesus, may they find hope in you today by reaching out to you as their hope, as their Savior, by confessing you as Lord, as, as Savior, as the leader of their lives, and may you show them their desperate situation apart from you. And may you be found as the answer by those people who may be needing you today. And may that love and truth, God, that they've been searching for, may it be found in Christ alone. You are enough, Jesus. Help us to live in a way that honors you. Amen.